Bible reading for today is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 18. You can find this on page 947 in the Blue Bibles in front of you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rachel. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. Um, happy Chinese New Year, or as Ike reminds me, the politically correct way to say it is Lunar New Year. Happy Australia Day as well. It's great to see you here um, this morning. Uh, let's pray as we come to God's word. Father God, as we uh, look at a difficult area of reconciliation, we ask that you be amidst us, uh, that you would speak to us through your word, and then as we look at some practical ways of applying it, uh, we ask that you speak to our hearts and give, it, give us a willingness to apply uh, your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What happened uh, on November the 9th, 1989, was perhaps the single most uh, important event, uh, event for the Cold War um, between the West uh, and the East uh, being ended. An announcement was made by the East German government that starting midnight <clears throat> that day, November the 9th, 1989, the, the gates uh, that had been shut for 30 years would be open and people would be free to come and go from East Berlin to the West and then from the West to the East. The Berlin Wall had kept East Germans out of West Germany, West Germans out of East Germany uh, all that time as an impenetrable barrier designed to keep people apart. Here's uh, a, a picture of the the wall being smashed down. After the announcement um, that the gates would be open, uh, it was a free-for-all with both sides knocking down the wall um, bit by bit, putting an end to that most hated symbol of the Cold War that represented hostility, suspicion, separation between people. People who had been kept apart, families, friends, all that time for 30 years could now come back together and be reconciled. Today we're looking at a different kind of wall 
that's been knocked down. But bringing this wall down hasn't just affected one city, one country, or the east and the west. This wall that we'll see Jesus has destroyed has cosmic consequences. It hasn't just brought people together, but it has also restored the relationship between us and God. What Jesus did on the cross has brought reconciliation where before there was no relationship, only hostility. Well, today we're looking at the third part of our series on, on head, hearts and hands, um, on the topic of community. Uh, last couple of weeks we looked at the first, first part, head, hearts. Last week, Pastor Pete took us through looking at forgiveness in community. Today is really taking the next step from forgiveness. After we forgive someone, the next step is to seek reconciliation, to seek a restoration of the relationship. What we'll be doing today is, is to look at it in two parts, really. The first part is the, um, what the Bible has to say about reconciliation from the passage we just had read to us from Ephesians 2. And looking at why reconciliation is important. In a nutshell, it's important because us being reconciled and restored in relationship to each other is based on what God has done for us through Jesus at the cross. And then, because this is the hands part of the series, where the rubber hits the road, the practical application, we're going to spend more time than usual looking at how to be reconciled with each, to each other as we live in community together. Uh, we've got three points that you can see on your outline. If you're a note taker, you might like to follow along. Um, the three points are the wrong side of the wall. Number two, the wall is destroyed. And three, reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. So let's jump into it. Uh, the first point... Um, click it. Paul, the writer uh, of this letter, to the, he's writing to the Ephesian church and he starts off reminding his readers how they used to live in their previous way of life. Uh, have your Bibles open because we'll be looking at that uh, carefully. Um, he says in verse 11 that they were Gentiles by birth, meaning non-Jews. Uh, and then the problem is spelled out in verse 12. Have a look at that with me. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. The problem was that the knowledge of God, the presence of God, the blessings of God were all given to God's people, the Jews, Israel. But these Greek-speaking people were geographically spiritually, culturally cut off from Israel. Um, the church of at Ephesus is in uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. And uh, these, these Ephesians were cut off from those blessings. They were like the Mexican immigrants trying to get into the US. They found themselves on the wrong side of the wall. We also see that they were separated from Christ. They didn't know him. They didn't know the forgiveness that he offered. So they were cut off from God 
and they were cut off from Israel, from God's people. Now it's important at this stage to make the connection between the people that Paul is writing to, the Ephesian church, and us. Because we're in the same position. I suspect almost all of us here are Gentiles, meaning that we come from a non-Jewish background. And our situation is their situation because each of us start, has started off being cut off from Christ, cut off from a relationship with God, cut off from his blessing and cut off from his people. Notice here that there's a connection between their relationship with God, uh, think of it as a vertical relationship, and their relationship with the community. That's a horizontal relationship. The Bible consistently connects the two, the vertical relationship with God, the horizontal relationship between each other in community. Our invisible relationship with God is lived out in our visible relationship as, uh, in our life together as God's people. The two are inseparably tied. They cannot be separated. Then Paul changes from the past, the Ephesians' original situation, to the present. Have a look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That little word but refers to a massive change in the circumstances of the Ephesians because now the wall that kept them away, that, that divided them, kept them out of God's people and out of God's presence, has now been destroyed. And that's our second point. Verse 13 says that they have moved from being far away to bring, being brought near. It's talking about coming into relationship from having no relationship to now being reconciled, being brought together. But who's the relationship with? Paul doesn't actually spell it out here in verse 13. Hold on to that thought, we'll come back to it. But firstly, we'll look at how. How is this relationship restored? How are we brought near? Again, verse 13 tells us that it's the blood of Christ. That's a reference to Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus gave himself for us as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Paul goes on to describe just what he did. Have a look at verses 14 to 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So verse 14, he destroyed the wall, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Right in the heart of, of, of Israel is the city of Jerusalem, well, not the geographical heart, but the kind of the heartbeat of Israel. 
And then in the middle of Jerusalem is the temple. The temple was the dwelling place of God. It represented the place where the people went to meet with God as well as to make sacrifices to get right with God. In the temple was a wall. On one side of the wall, the the Gentiles were free to go. Uh, That is, people like the Ephesians, people who weren't Israelites. But the other side, they could not go. The wall represented for them an impenetrable barrier because the Jew, in the, in the Jews' thinking, the Gentiles were unclean. Only the Jews were clean and able to go into the inner part of the temple which represented being closer to God. So the temple which represented God's holiness and his presence, to keep that from being polluted by the Gentiles, they could not pass beyond this, the wall. Uh, this stone has been uh, discovered by archaeologists coming from the temple. And there's an inscription on it that you probably can't read, but what it says um, in Greek is that it's a sign to the Gentiles, uh, to their part of the wall, they, to the room that they went into, and it says that no Gentile can go beyond this wall or else they would be put to death. If they go into the inner part of the temple, they would die. That's how serious a thing it was treated by the Jews. It was an impenetrable barrier that they could not pass. But here we read that Jesus has destroyed that barrier. That wall has come tumbling down. How? Look at verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. So a big part of the Old Testament law that was that every Jew had to make sacrifices uh, to pay for their sin and ensure that they were right with God, ensure that they were clean in God's sight. We said before that Jesus' death was the perfect sacrifice in his own body. It was the final sacrifice, which means that no other sacrifice needs to be made once Jesus has made that. Through his death, he makes everyone who trusts in him clean. First the Jew, then the Gentile, everybody. And that, that's what it means by Jesus setting aside the law. He fulfilled the law's demands. He has made it redundant. It's no longer necessary to go to the temple to make those sacrifices. And that also means that the whole system where things are clean and unclean, remember that the the Gentiles couldn't go into the temple because they were unclean, all that has been dealt with by Jesus' final sacrifice. So the separation in the temple between clean areas uh, and, and unclean areas no longer applies either. The wall has been smashed down. No more barrier keeping us out. So that's the how. That's the how we are brought near. Now we come back to the who. Who are we brought near to? Have a look again at verse 15. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God 
through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And that's our third point. We are reconciled to God and to each other. Jesus reconciled two groups of people. He's talking about Jew and Gentile. He's created one people, brought unity where there used to be division and hostility because the barrier of the law has been smashed down. It no longer applies. And then notice verse 16. Both these groups of people have also been reconciled to God through the cross, as we've just seen by Jesus' sacrifice. And I want you to notice another thing. And this is the key to understanding what what we're trying to say today. Paul speaks of the reconciliation between people, remember the horizontal, and between us and God, the vertical, as being wrapped up together. They can't be separated. We can't have one without the other. Because Jesus on the cross put an end to the cause for our hostility between us and God, our sin. It's also dealt with our relationship with each other, which has also been affected because of sin. Now there's no sin, and so now our relationship with God is restored and our relationship with each other is also restored. Now, Paul's been talking about relationships between Jews and Gentiles, but it applies to all groups of people. It applies to all divisions and, and, and everything that divides people. Between different races, between tribes and nations, between religious and cultural groups. And the reason for our reconciliation to each other also applies today, and it applies for God's people everywhere. And that purpose is in verse 15. Have a look at, look at it with me. The purpose of Jesus going to the cross was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. At the cross, Jesus defeated all the powers of evil and sin. He's reversed the curse of sin and is in the process of renewing all things. Now, we don't see the the full effect of that today, do we? We still see the effect of sin every day. We won't finally see that until the new creation, until Jesus returns. But perhaps the clearest sign that we do have now of Jesus reigning as king, of Jesus having defeated sin and death, is Jesus being king over his people and his people being one. His people being unified in Christian community as the body of Christ. A visible sign that the evil of hostility and suspicion, of suspicion, division, prejudice, racism, all of that has been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. God's people are now like a a lighthouse, shining a light of hope in a dark world. A lovely picture of that was uh, in our church in Taiwan that we were a part of called Hope Church. Now, Hope Church wasn't a perfect church by any means, but you could walk into the service on any given Sunday 
and see mainland Chinese, Taiwanese sitting together, Africans from Swaziland, Indonesians, Filipinos, and all of those groups traditionally are looked down upon by a lot of Taiwanese. But at Hope Church, despite the language and cultural barriers and, and these issues going on, there was a genuine sense of oneness, a genuine Christian community because of the reconciliation that Jesus has brought on the cross. So that's what the Bible says about reconciliation. You may be thinking for the hands part of the series, there's, uh, which is meant to be very practical, uh, that I'm still talking about a lot of theology. Well, yes, that's because it's crucial to get the theology right. When our theology is right, in other words, when our view of what God has done for us is right, then the practical application of that is right as well. But it's important to get that foundation right. So to summarise, we can only truly be reconciled in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others, because of what Jesus has done on the cross. He's taken away the ultimate source of conflict and hostility, which is our sin. And when Jesus sacrificed himself uh, for us, he brought reconciliation between us and God and between each other. And now we all belong to him as one body that is unified. We are no longer divided, but in God's eyes we are one. So that means that just as holding out forgiveness to each other, as, as Pastor Pete um, um, showed us last week, isn't an optional extra, but it's a requirement for every Christian. So too is trying to be reconciled and holding out reconciliation. It's not an optional extra. Now, dealing with conflict is extremely difficult. It's emotionally draining and can affect us physically as well. Julie and I experienced firsthand how difficult that can be um, with a very difficult team relationship that we had in Taiwan. Uh, when we first arrived in Taiwan, we joined with another family. Our boss was someone, we'll call him Tony, not his real name, but... Um, about 12 months into the relationship, after we first got there, we were aware that uh, there were difficulties in our communication as a team. Um, 12 months after that, things really came to a head and it became evident that we couldn't really function uh, and keep going as a team. Uh, Julie and I weren't sure what to do about that, but then uh, the decision was really made for us when Tony... Um, came and told me that he was leaving, leaving the team and leaving our mission. Uh, going off, they were going off on their own. To be honest, it was a relief because uh, the team had caused us so much stress uh, and we didn't know how to handle it. Um, and, and sadly, that kind of a story, uh, you may be able to relate to that as well. It's, it's a not uncommon story. Uh, even as Christians, uh, at some point we all have to deal with conflict 
and we all have to deal with the issue of reconciliation and how we go about that. I want to briefly look at three, three ways that we can approach conflict. It's based on a little book called uh, Resolving Everyday Conflict by Ken Sandy. Very short, very readable, uh, and I highly recommend that. Sandy suggests there are two common ways to approach that we approach conflict that are unhealthy. Um, escaping or attacking. But then he outlines a third way, which we'll touch on briefly, uh, based on the Bible's approach to conflict, and that's moving towards peacemaking. So let's have a look at these briefly, what they look like. Escaping, they're two... Uh, escaping comes in two major forms, uh, denial and running away. Uh, it can be based on a belief that as Christians we should always agree. Uh, I know that was a, a big issue for us in our team situation in Taiwan. Part of us just said this should not be happening. We are Christians, we, we should be able to get on. Uh, and, and there was a temptation to sweep it under the carpet, to deny it. We might have an issue with a team leader, uh, with a CG leader. Um, perhaps they always interrupt or, or, or don't, don't listen. Uh, it becomes a major issue, but you, you might just be tempted to sweep it under the, target, under the carpet because it's the easiest way forward to avoid the issue. You might be all smiles and say to yourself, I shouldn't think negative thoughts about this person. After all, we, we're both Christians. But the problem is that the issue doesn't go away. It festers. And when we sweep it under the carpet, it has, an, it has um, a way of coming back to bite us. Either with a blow-up, where it's kind of like a pressure cooker and then one day we just explode, or you might adopt a passive-aggressive response. I've been guilty of this in the past, where you subconsciously or perhaps deliberately drag your feet in meetings, find yourself finding ways to subtly oppose uh, what, what this person is doing or saying, throw, throwing cold water on any ideas that they might bring up. Another way that we often escape is to run away. I do that again. Um, I hate conflict. And so my natural response is to avoid it like the plague, to run away. I want to run a million miles from it. Uh, on my Taiwan team, my, unfortunately, my team leader was even worse at that than me. Um, but I do take some of the blame as well. At the time, running seems like the most logical thing to do. Pain avoidance, right? It can certainly be the easiest thing to do. And so, again, if you're in a CG that's a difficult relationship, it can seem like the easiest thing to do to leave the CG. Um, doing what you can to avoid the tension of running into that person, perhaps even to the point of deciding to change churches because a relationship within church is just so difficult that you don't know what to do with it. But you know what? 
in the long run, running away usually comes back to bite us as well. Because the broken relationship still isn't dealt with. Even if you don't see the other person, it's still there. All the issues are still there, unresolved. The anger, perhaps unforgiveness, perhaps guilt, feeling like you've contributed to the problem, the hurt. They're all still there and they will raise their ugly head, holding on to grudges, mulling over past hurts. In the end, they actually come and hurt us. It can lead to depression, physical sickness, spiritual problems as we blame God. Why have you allowed this, God? Why, why is this happening to me? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at getting out of our comfort zone so we can have genuine community with other believers. Looking to escape conflict by denial or running away is another form of insisting on staying in my comfort zone. Self-protection. And ultimately, that's self-centred, isn't it? It's putting myself before the other person putting my comfort and my protection ahead of restoration or the chance of restoration of the relationship. The second common way that we can respond to conflict is by attacking. Um, in church, as Christian community, that usually doesn't end in fist fights or physical fights, more commonly, it will end in, in a verbal attack of some sort. Sometimes we attack so that we don't have to admit guilt, that we're feeling guilty, but we hit back. It's easier than owning up to our own guilt, easier to blame someone else. At other times, we, we feel like we are in the right but we attack because we're feeling hurt, we're feeling wronged. I've been guilty of that. Matter of fact, I've been guilty of just about all of these things. Again, on our Taiwan team, things had built up and built up. And there was at least one time I can think of where I exploded and attacked Tony and responded out of anger. When we attack, go on the attack, we, we often care more about justifying ourselves and our position or even point scoring than, than restoring the relationship. And attacking someone might feel, make us feel better. It gets it off our chest. But actually in the long run, it's usually more damaging to the relationship. Very rarely does a verbal attack result in moves towards reconciliation. But there is a third way to resolve conflict. Based on what the Bible says, Sandy calls it peacemaking. He identifies four ways to apply the gospel in seeking to uh, 
reach reconciliation. He calls it the four G's. Glorify God. Two, get the log out of your own eye. Three, gently restore. And four, to go and be reconciled. So I just want to work through these briefly. First one, glorify God. Our natural default position is to do the opposite. Rather than glorify God and to focus on him, it is to focus on myself, to focus on my hurt. I have been wronged. I feel angry. I want justice. I want to justify myself. I want others to see that I'm in the right. But when we apply God's perspective, he can help us see that his plan is for Christ to be glorified through unity with each other. The stuff we've just been looking at. It helps us to get our eyes off ourselves and to look at the big picture, to go back to the cross, to look at God's perspective. Secondly, to get the log, G2, get the log out of your own eye. Jesus said, before you point out the speck in your brother's eye, sister's eye, take the log out of your own eye. It's hard to do, isn't it? I don't know if you've seriously tried to do that. It's hard to do. Because every instinct in us tells us that she's in the wrong. I'm in the right. But every conflict ought to be an opportunity to drive us to prayer and cry out to God to show us where we've done wrong before we confront the other person. Show me why my my brother or sister is behaving like that towards me. Give me the humility to see where I've wronged them before I point out their sin. G3, gently restore. After we've dealt with the log in our own eye and confess whatever wrong we've done, then comes the time to confront the other person. Now, I think this is particularly hard. In our culture, the idea of rebuking, confronting, has fallen on hard times. Uh, We quite rightly don't want to be seen as being hypocritical. And so we avoid pointing out other people's sins. And I think we're quite rightly hesitant about rebuking others. It shouldn't be something we enjoy, look forward to, or look, look for opportunities to do, no. But having said that, it's also something that we shouldn't avoid. Because Jesus says it. He says to do it. When you have something against your brother or sister... Go and point it out to them. It should never be something we do lightly, but the Bible makes it clear that we need to do it. Perhaps you're a female group member and your male leader is using inappropriate suggestive language. Or someone on your ministry team is avoiding their responsibilities and putting an untoward burden on other people. There comes a time when it's appropriate and right to gently rebuke someone and to do it in a way that doesn't destroy them, isn't an angry outburst, 
but to do it in such a way that seeks to bring them to a place of repentance and restoration. Fourth, fourth uh, G, the uh, command to go and be reconciled. I mentioned at the beginning that reconciliation is the second step in, the, in a process. The first step being forgiveness. You can't have reconciliation without forgiveness. But after forgiveness, um, which we saw last week, again, is unconditional, based on what God's done for us. The second step, reconciliation, is also unconditional in the sense that it has to be unconditional for us to offer reconciliation. It's not an optional extra. If someone has sinned against us, the burden is on us to hold out, hold out the offer of reconciliation to them. Now, that's unconditional. What is conditional is that the way that they respond. I can't respond how the other party responds. Uh, sorry, I can't control how the other party responds, can I? And we must not own that responsibility. If the other person isn't willing to be reconciled, we must not bear the guilt of that. We must do our bit and make that offer, but it's up to them how they respond. For reconciliation to happen, Sandy says that we need to make four promises. And I want to finish off by looking at these. Number one, I promise I won't dwell on this incident. Two, I promise I won't bring up this incident and use it against you. Three, I promise I won't talk to others about this incident. And four, I promise not to let this incident hinder our relationship. They're pretty good, aren't they? Imagine if you seriously implemented each of those four things as you approach a brother or sister to be reconciled. It's pretty likely that uh, you're going to come away with a good result, I reckon. It's easy to rattle these four things off but think about how hard they actually are to keep. They're huge, aren't they? I reckon maybe I could maybe pull off number two. I could maybe keep my promise not to bring up this incident and gossip with someone else or, or to bring it up with them, to remind them of, of what they did. I reckon I could probably keep that. But what about the others? What about number one? If I've really been hurt, how do I stop my mind from churning over what's happened? Even if I've genuinely tried to, to forgive someone. We, we just often don't have much control over our thought processes, do we? And what about number four? I reckon that left on our own resources, that's just about impossible. No matter how much I want to move on in a relationship, that incident that caused me so much hurt is still lurking in the background like a, like, a, like, a, like a sleeping monster. Easy to say, quite another thing to put those four things into practice. So what's the way forward? 
The bottom line is that we can't forgive others and we can't be truly reconciled with others on our own resources. We fallible, sinful human beings and we generally can't pull it off on our own resources. Only God can give us even the desire to forgive others, let alone the ability to be reconciled. It's only his spirit working in us as we understand the gospel and understand what Jesus has done for us in what we looked at before, in reconciling us through his blood, bringing himself back into relationship with him and with each other as we live out what it means to be in community as God's people. Now, I realise today that we've really only scratched the surface. Uh, I haven't done justice to the topic of reconciliation. My aim today was just to give the barest outline of a model that can hopefully help you start thinking about and hopefully actually apply when it comes to being reconciled to other people. I also realise that it's not unlikely for many of you that this might have brought up old wounds, uh, or perhaps not old wounds, perhaps uh, wounds that are very much still fresh. If you're struggling with a relationship or wrestling with wanting reconciliation or, or, or to forgive others, to forgive someone, please come and talk to me or Pastor Pete, Pastor Dom, afterwards. We'd love to chat with you and, and especially to pray with you. Don't feel like you need to walk through this by yourself. Let's pray together. Father God, this is a huge topic uh, and we acknowledge that we are not able to be reconciled just as we are not able to forgive on our own resources. Uh, thank you, Father, that you have given us the resources uh, because of Jesus, because of his blood, because of what he has done on the cross. Um, he enables us to be reconciled and restored uh, in our relationship with God uh, and in our relationship with each other. And we ask that, that your spirit be at work um, to enable us to be one in Christian community uh, and to bring reconciliation where there has been hurt and division uh, and um, a breakdown in relationship. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Marshall, for um, helping us reflect on the, the truth and reality of um, being reconciled to, to God and through that being also reconciled to one another as one body of Christ and to also, I suppose, uh, uh, the helpful framework around conflict and how we hopefully can choose to actively um, restore rather than attack or um, escape. Um, and also know that we can only do this through God's help 
um, and through the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to now stand and sing um, our, our last couple of songs, uh, Holy Spirit, Living Breath, and Praise the Name. Um, but before I get you to stand, just a, a, a reminder that the offertory bags will also come around in, in, in the last song. That's for our regulars only, so if you're a guest, uh, please pass it on. Um, what would be great is if you did get a chance to fill in these welcome cards uh, during the service, just pop them in, um, and, uh, and, and someone will be in contact with you. Um, so please stand for our last couple of songs. Holy 
place like a seat. <laughs> <laughs>